Thank you. It's great to be with you. Um, and like for me also has been wonderful to work with, uh, with the Westlake team. So it's such a privilege to be with you. Um, last weekend I was actually in Ticino because we have uh, in our denomination two churches in the Italian part of Switzerland, which is always a terrible suffering, you know, for a pastor to go down there and preach there. So uh, actually it was really lovely. And um, they have this beautiful church in Locarno close to the station, and uh, on the wall is a scripture from uh, Matthew 23.8 in Italian, and it says, Uno solo è il vostro maestro, e voi siete tutti fratelli. And I thought it was so beautiful. Tutti fratelli. We are all brothers and sisters, and uh, we have only one master, only one teacher. And I think this takes a little bit the pressure off from me, <laughs> because this morning it's not me who teaches you, it's Jesus, even though sometimes he teaches through a Dutch accent. Um, <laughs> so I pray Jesus will teach you this morning. So the other day, uh, our daughter came to me from school and she said to me, Dad, I need new shoes. And I said, okay, that's a reasonable request. You need new shoes. Are they broken? No, no, they're not broken. They're fine. So why do you need new shoes then? You know, after a little back and forth, the truth came out. Actually, in school right now, if you want to be part of the cool gang, you need to have Nike Air shoes. <laughs> and I like to think of myself as a pretty cool parent, you know? So, so I said, let's look online and see which shoes you need. Actually, I said, go look with your mom online and see which school shoes you need. So we were like, okay, let's do this until we saw the price. So here we go, 300 francs and up, and none of them were available. And then our son, he said, oh, but 300 francs, this is nothing. We have kids in our school, they have school shoes that are 18,000 francs. And I was like, this is impossible. He's exaggerating. He spent too much time on YouTube. So we went online, and I kid you not, and you can show the next slide, there is the Nike Air Force Jordan Retro Dior for 18,000 francs. I mean, this is just shocking for me as a Dutch person. <laughs> you know, I cannot go home with that. So anyway, so much money for shoes in the Randwijk household, that's just a no-no. And I'm proud to say that my children have embraced their status as sneaker outcast in the school of Appalachia. Okay. But of course, we can laugh about this, you know, silly kids needing certain shoes to be accepted. Adults, we're different, we're not like this. But is that really the case? I don't think so. I think in society today, we have a lot of unspoken norms and implied standards. Three themes I just want to briefly mention. Maybe some of those resonate with you, and I believe there's quite some pressure in society. So the first one, is green credentials. How green are you? Do you drive an electric car, which is carbon neutral, or do you have solar panels on your house? I, I just got an offer for solar panels, you know, so you gotta catch up with that. And if you don't recycle, I mean, this is really frowned upon in Switzerland. And we were talking in our small group, and we are talking about this recycling thing, and how this is actually quite cathartic, 
You know, when you recycle, we have this beautiful déchetterie in Epalange, and you go there, and they have all the boxes and the bins, and I go with my bags, and I am there, and I'm throwing my green glass there, my brown glass there, my plastic bottle there, and they have this big bin for flaconnage. I don't know if you know this, it's flaconnage, which you put all the plastic bottles, and you just feel so good when all the plastic bottles go in there. Of course, we all know it gets shipped to Vietnam or wherever, <laughs> but at least it makes me feel good, right? And I read this article about environmentalism, which actually pointed out that it has a little bit sometimes religious overtones. And the, the writer, he said, there is an original sin, consumption. Okay, we all consume too much. There's also a temple, which is the déchetterie, you know, the dump. <laughs> and then there's a ritual to receive absolution, which is recycling. We can even buy indulgences, when we buy their carbon tax, voluntary carbon tax with EasyJet, when we fly somewhere. <laughs> now hear me, I'm not against green tech, I'd love to have an electric car, and I'm not against recycling. But I do believe there is a bit of compulsion in society to live up to a certain standard. And it makes us feel good about ourselves. That's the first one. Okay, second one, social justice issues. Okay, we are in May. Next month, it's June. June is my birthday. You know what June is also? Pride Month. Pride Month when all the rainbow logos come out. You know, Migro, UBS, IKEA, even the Vote School Agenda has the Pride flag. And you have to celebrate Pride Month. And if you don't, it's a bit frowned upon. You might be even a bigot. And actually, it's not so easy for business. I mean, there's quite a pressure. Uh, but it's not just Pride Month. There's so many other causes. When I go to the UNIL and I look at the meshes board, you know, there's defeat the patriarchy. I mean, my wife went, works for the gender studies department, so, you know, it's right there. Defeat the patriarchy. Or there is a eliminate institutional racism. Or there is a fight for trans rights. And, and so on, you know. And some of these causes might be better than others, but there is this pressure of being part of a good cause. And the I don't know if you know uh, this website, the Babylon Bee. It's a bit uh, sat Christian satire website. And they made a t-shirt and it says, uh, I support the current thing. And <laughs> it's a bit funny, you know, and they, they're a bit politically incorrect. They always push the push the issue. But it is a real issue. It touches on a real issue as satire often does. There's a real pressure to publicly pledge allegiance to some good cause today. So that's the second, second theme. And then the third one is about around health and food. I think today, especially with social media, there's a huge pressure to look healthy and fit. I mean, Instagram influencers, they put these pictures with such an unrealistic image of your body that you can never live up to, at least not me. <laughs> but what about the fitness app Strava? Here I go on the app and I see my friends, he's been running yesterday and the day before and the day before and he did so many kilometers. I better catch up with him and oh no, he did it in one hour, 30 minutes. I better do it faster than him. You know, there is a little bit this like we need to to, to be healthy, we need to be fit, we need to live up to this standard. Or what about food? What about veganism in school? You know, not eating animal products will make you part of the vegan club. And of course, all these things kind of overlap. And so, we end up with a rainbow helmet wearing Formula One driver, 
who takes his private jet to another country every time he needs to walk his dog, sincerely preaching to me that I should not eat meat. And he doesn't even see the irony in that, because he feels he's doing a good thing. And this is our society today. We need to live up to these standards. And I feel sometimes it's a little bit a rat race, you know? It's like, what, what is it today that I should achieve? What is the norm today? What is the good cause today? And we try to, to integrate those habits in our life to be accepted in whatever group we want to be a part of. And we say, look at me, I'm ecological, or I'm vegan, I'm virtuous, I'm fit, I'm pure, I'm good, I'm a good person. And you know what's interesting? In the end, we feel it's never enough. And it makes us kind of tired and unhappy. Why do I talk about this? Because this passage also talks about human traditions and standards to live up to. And whether or not these traditions, these standards will purify us, will make us good. So let's look briefly at this passage. And I have just three points. So the first one is how we should purify ourselves. And then the second point is why we cannot purify ourselves. And the third one is how Jesus purifies us. So the first one is how we should purify us, why we can't purify ourselves, and how Jesus purifies us. So the first point, how we should purify ourselves. Well, what were the norms for people in Jesus' day? Well, to be accepted in polite society in Jesus' day, you had to follow the Jewish food and hygiene rules. And the Pharisees were absolutely shocked when they saw the disciples eating bread with defiled hands, which means unwashed, as Mark explains. We can imagine the disciples, you know, they might have just come from this awesome miracle where Jesus multiplied the food, and there were 12 baskets of loaves and fishes left, and here they were eating a few of those loaves, very excited. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said, no, this is impossible, this is not allowed, this is extremely incorrect, in Jewish society. So I got a little curious about these laws. What, what, what are they making such a big deal about? And actually I found them in the rabbinic writings called the Mishnah. If you know a little bit about Judaism, these are the repeated teachings. And there is a section on hands, a whole section just on hands and how you should wash your hands. So you need to use the amount of water equal to an egg and a half, an egg and a half, to wash your hands, and it should be poured from a whole vessel, not from a broken one, and it should be up to the wrist, but not above the wrist. Well, there's about 35 pages just about that, and it gets a little tedious, and I'm not gonna give you all of that, but even though it's a bit dull when you read about it, it's actually extremely powerful in society. Why? Because one of the most basic components of society is eating together. And a dietary and hygiene law says, no, I cannot eat with you. Why? Because I'm different. I need to be pure. So it's quite exclusivist, you know? It makes you a separate group. It separates people. And you might say, yeah, but this is just Judaism. But actually, no. Um, I followed a course on religious science, and we studied the Havik Brahmins in India. And it's interesting. Havik Brahmins cannot receive food from an untouchable. 
if the Brahmin touches a rope at the same time as an untouchable, he is unclean, and even the straw on the floor can communicate uncleanness. So it, it's really interesting, but it's easy to judge those in India, but let's look at their own cleanliness habits. Shoes are not dirty, but put them on the table. I mean, when you are invited somewhere, it will be shocking. What about uh, food on your plate? It's not dirty. What about food on your shirt? That's dirty. Or a toilet brush in the bathroom. What about a toilet brush in the kitchen? That's kind of gross. <laughs> a shovel, fine, outside, but a shovel in the living room? No, it doesn't work. So, so we really all have our categories. And when something happens that is outside the norm, we are shocked. In that sense, we are not different from the Pharisees. So how does Jesus respond? And if you go to the next one, uh, he says, he calls them hypocrites, and he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teaching are merely human rules. We should know that the word hypocrites, which is quite a strong word for us, didn't have this moral meaning at the time. It merely means actor, somebody who plays the part. And he's basically saying, you Pharisees, you're just acting as if you honor God through your traditions, but your heart is not in the right place. Actually, you ignore the actual commandments of God. And that's where he uses this interesting example of the korban. I don't know if you just read that. It's the korban example, which means vow or offering. And what people would do at the time, they would make a vow to God to offer whatever in the future might potentially benefit their parents. So this would be a vow to God. And this way the parents would not receive any more benefits from the children. Needless to say, if you were not interested in helping your elderly parents out, it was quite convenient because you could get out of helping them and you look spiritual at the same time. And Jesus says, this is wrong. In verse 8 he said, it's not just that you neglect the commandments of God, you actually nullify the word of God by your tradition. So actually our traditions can nullify the word of God. So then Jesus goes back to the dietary laws and he says, it is not what goes in humans that makes them unclean. It is the opposite. It's what comes out of the human heart. And if you go to the next slide, it says, from within, out of a person's heart, evil thoughts come. So, and then there's this whole list, you know, the whole list is talking about sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. These are what makes a person unclean. And it's interesting, Jesus doesn't just abrogate the commandment, saying, oh, it's not necessary. He actually elevates it. He says, it's not about the ritual level of cleanliness, it's about moral cleanliness. So there you have it, this is the message. No need to wash your hands, no need to eat special foods, no need to polish up your green credentials or announce your support for social justice causes. If you want to be accepted as undefiled, clean before God, all you have to do is stop having sexually immoral, kleptomaniac, murderous, adulterous, greedy, malicious, deceitful, lewd, envious, slanderous, arrogant, and foolish thoughts. Just stop it. 
Yes. Well, I've been in a number of uh, preachings, and this is the moment where we get out our self-help manuals, and we go through the list of sins, and we start grading ourselves, and we say, on a scale of one to 10, where am I with lust, with greed, with pride, with slander, with envy? But I hated it, you know why? Because I saw that it bred two different reactions. Either it made people proud. Look, I'm doing pretty well here. I haven't been arrogant this week. Or on the other side, and this is me, it makes us absolutely despairing. I am no good. I mean, every single thing on there is a problem for me. And it brought me into despair. We are absolutely hopeless, which brings me to my second point. We cannot purify ourselves. Why? You know, we all agree sexual immorality and adultery is bad. But what about sexually immoral thoughts? Isn't that standard a bit high in the internet age? But what about the other sins? I mean, sexual sins, we talk a lot about this, but we, talk, we don't talk so much about the others. What about greed? If you go to the next one, greed a strong desire to acquire more and more material possessions or to possess more things than other people have. Isn't our whole economy based on this? Just to consume more, to want more. You know, there's this Wall Street movie, Gordon Gecko says, greed is good, you know, it, it, it makes the economy turn. What about envy, you know, a feeling of jealousy and resentment of what someone else does or has? You know, this insecurity, why is this guy so good in preaching? Why am I, why do I have this Dutch accent? I don't have the great British accent like Martin, you know? Anyway. What about folly or foolishness? The state of not using one's capacity for understanding. How often do we do that? I mean, how many glasses of wine do you need to drink for that, you know? So, but there's other things like deceit. How often do we actually lie? What about, and then have thoughts about lying. That's an even higher standard. Or slander. Who can possibly say they have never said a slanderous word about somebody else? Arrogance. How often do we feel morally superior about others? I mean, the Netherlands really is the best country in the world, you know. <laughs> you see where I'm going with this. The standard is so high it is impossible to reach. And this is the reason why we like tradition, why we like rituals, because achieving moral purity is impossible. This is why the pagan religions were so much more popular in the Roman Empire. Pagan religions did not make moral demands. They were about rituals. You just needed to go to the temple, bring an offering, and maybe sleep with the temple prostitute. That's all you needed to do. Of course, the people loved it. We don't like moral demands because they're too difficult to fulfill. Our sin is so deep in us, actually, we are far worse than we imagine. And if we leave humanity to save itself, it will end up in the same situation as in the days of Noah. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were altogether evil all the time. This is our state. 
And I think we know this. I think we know a little bit deep inside that we are not great, we are not good, and this is why we frantically try to justify ourselves in our rituals, with our credentials. We feel a need to make up for the evil within us. The problem, however, is no amount of self-justification will take care of the profound, deep-rooted old man within me. It's always there. And if it's really true what Jesus says, that whatever comes out of, his, out of us defiles us, then we are in a constant state of defilement all the time. And we really, really need help. Which brings me to my last point, how Jesus purifies us. Because it's very interesting. Actually, Jesus never states the solution to the defilement issue. He states the problem. He says, here, here, this is the deal. It's not about the food that you eat. It's about the evil thoughts that come out of you. But he does not say, you will be cleansed if you stop having these evil thoughts. He does point out that human tradition doesn't help. But what then is the question? How can we become pure? How are we delivered from our condition of sin, of guilt, of impurity, and restored to a right relationship with God? This is the question. And this is where the gospel comes in. God, in Jesus, enters time and space in our desperate situation. And we need to say this in our postmodern age. The historicity of this is quite important. Jesus Christ, not just some general idea, some archetype of the perfect person. Jesus bodily entered on earth on a in a specific time and place. It's about the fact that God himself entered our history 2,000 years ago in the life of a Je Jewish man, Jesus of Nazareth. It's a real historical fact. And if you go to the next one, we call this concreteness of Jesus' appearance. It has something troubling about it in the world. We call this in theology the scandal of particularity, the belief that a specific person at a specific time, at a specific place, is relevant, important for everyone in the world. But this is exactly what the Christian faith is all about. Jesus is relevant for everyone. God himself, morally perfect, eternal, infinite God, humbles himself, descends from heaven to be born on earth a human. This is the miracle, the incarnation. And he lives a life just like us, with all the challenges, just like us, except without sin. Perfectly pure, undefiled, None of those things in that list he ever did. And then he died carrying our impurities, all our sins. And then he rose, ascended to heaven, and intercedes for us. This is the good news. But oh, how modern and postmodern people hate the thought that we cannot save ourselves. Jesus as a moral example, yeah, that's fine. We can live with that. Jesus as a religious teacher, okay. Jesus as a great example, sure, we can do that. But Jesus, who is God, who comes into the world to save us because we cannot save ourselves, this we cannot accept. We want to free ourselves. This is our problem. And yet we cannot. We need a mediator, someone to bridge the schism 
between God and man. And this is Jesus. He comes in the middle of our messiness, of our human guilt, and he becomes God with us. He's not just an agent for God, the son of God himself. And he brings us to the Father and the Father to us. In Jesus, God's forgiving love and power is now here to stay. And this is good news. Because all our moral failings, that whole list we just went through, all this defilement, it was on him. And now in Christ, when God looks upon us, he sees perfection. We are no longer unclean, no longer defiled, no longer fallen short. We are accepted. No more need to self-justify. The barriers that separate us from God and from others are broken. No more need to make up for our unrighteousness by following the rituals and traditions of men. So, to finish, where does this leave us with regard to the vice list, you know, that list of of issues that we just went through. Do they not matter anymore? Do we just continue to sin because God doesn't care? My brothers and sisters, once we have met Jesus, we will never be the same. And if you go to the next one, this is the Westminster Catechism. And it says that once we have been regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in us, we are further sanctified through Christ's death and resurrection by his word and spirit. The dominion of sin is destroyed and the lusts more and more weakened and mortified. So unlike justification, which is a one-time event, when we put our faith in Christ, this sanctification is a process. And it can sometimes be discouraging. And we should remember that in this process there's progress, there's also regress. And again, this is what the Catechism says. We will be imperfect in this life. There abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part, leading to a war of flesh against the spirit. For a time, the remaining corruption may much prevail. And this is the reality. And I think I can testify of my own life that when we become a Christian, we are not instantly finished with our problems. But when we face with our shortcomings again and again, the temptation will be to go back to those human traditions and we will try to justify ourselves. And this is why, even as Christians of many years, we need to hear the gospel every week because we need to know that it is not in our strength, but in the power of the spirit of Jesus Christ that we can overcome, grow in grace and be perfected in holiness. Therefore, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He is mighty to save. Amen. Let's pray.